welcome to FileMaker Talk. This is Matt Navarre. Today, my special guest is Wendy King. Welcome. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for having me. So you're with Studio Tozy. Yeah, it's a new business. It's called Studio Tozy. I'm based in San Francisco. You might have known me prior to this as the database mechanic. Independent developer for many years. Changed people's oils and service transmissions. and That was the idea. I had a car that I had to work on a lot. And um, so, I don't know, that's how the name came about. I had an old Porsche that used to break down all the time. And so my business name, I don't know, just became Database Mechanic. I think it's great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Better than Studio Tozy, whatever. <laughs> yeah, Studio Tozy is a more of um well, it's, it's a sound studio. I work out of my sound studio now. And it's a small studio. And Tozy, at the end of something, like uh, my middle name is Tremont, which is short for Tremontosi, which is short, well, in Italian, means three small mountains. Mm. And so Studio Tozy is small studio. There you go. Now you know. It's interesting. We only just met. We probably maybe met at Defcon a long time ago. But we've got a f- a several different things that we sort of cross paths on, you and I. Uh, one of them is the separation model, which you talked about at Defcon back in FileMaker 5 days. <laughs> yeah, I think that's remarkable that we're, we have that in common. Um, and, and I was really surprised to hear that, you know, it wasn't something that everybody was doing now. I mean, I just thought that it was standard practice now. But uh, to my chagrin, I see that that still is not the case. It really isn't the case. I actually think there's some good reasons why it shouldn't be, like for certain kind of databases. I, we'll do a separate podcast just on that because I think it'll be a great discussion. <laughs> but there are also a lot of cases where you just absolutely have to do it. Like any kind of a, any kind of a vertical market or, or software that's in really heavy development, you really have to have separation models so that you can do work on the interface and it's separate so that you can stick on an interface on multiple different types of data files and they just work, you know, or different customers' data files without having to do import, which kind of ties into another thing, which is this conference coming up October 23rd and 4th in Chicago, Illinois. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. And uh, I'm going to I'm going to be talking about training, how to create effective training and how people learn and, and how to create videos that engage the user and leave them wanting to take action on what they've learned. That That's basically in a nutshell what, what I'm going to be talking about. What, so what are you what are you talking about? I'm going to be doing a best practices like development best practices. One of which is is separation model, and one of which is training videos. So I think it's kind of funny. <laughs> That's fantastic! Wow, how a line and a hundred other things probably <laughs> that I've sort of picked up as little nuggets. I'm I'm probably going to just go through a long list of little things that I've found and explain why I think they're important, and people can sort of take or leave from that. But um, like you, I've got twenty x years of experience of doing development and have built several different vertical market applications, and have several more of them in front of me. I love that cycle of, of development, uh, building something big, putting a lot of investment into it, and then launching it into the world and to solve big problems and just like multiply it. Because to me, it's more fun to, um, if you've done something really cool, like a lot of FileMaker developers have, I think it really just kind of needs to get unleashed on the world, you know, and, and a vertical market is, a, is the best way to do that. Yeah, I really agree. And, you know, you put so much heart and soul into these systems. I mean, we all do. And it, it's it's sad when only one client gets to use it. You know, you just really want to be able to leverage all of that work and agony and pain and brilliance, you know. So I'm, I'm with you 100%. Yeah. Of course, that all that work you get to that one client gets you about 10% of the way there to the how much code you need for 10 clients to use it. But, you know. Yeah, yeah. But you but you have the... I mean, a, a lot of the work is is really understanding the business and understanding what that system is going to do. 
uh, what problem it's going to solve. So, you know, fine-tuning it and getting it more generic for – it's customizable for, for client to client. I mean, I've never done a vertical market solution, so that's all new to me. Mm. And I'm looking forward to attending the sessions at the conference to learn more about it. Um, silly to have been in this business all these years and not leveraged, you know, I leverage my code and I leverage my interface, but to actually take a system and, and use it from one client to another, I, that's, I think we all should be taking advantage of that revenue stream, really. Yeah, well, actually, I don't know if I would, uh, I, 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 of course, do agree with you, but I think it really needs to be a very intentional decision that you have to budget for and plan for and understand the, the things that you're going to have to come across so that you can have a really high chance of being successful at the end. It's Also, I think it's very different to take an application from one customer to two or three, which you can do really easily if they're really similar and they're friends with each other or whatever, compared to taking to 10 or 100 or 1,000 people. Fascinating. I That's I don't even know what the ramifications of that are, so I'm really looking forward to the conference and being kind of a it's, – it's going to be fun being a newbie in, in that world, you know, in a way. Like, I know FileMaker, but mm-hmm. that, that's a new world for me, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, I think there's 60 or 70 people registered already, and there's room for a few more. It's going to be a pretty great, and there's going to be a lot of, of topics like this discussed mm-hmm. uh, at it, so – well, I think video training is like this. This is a great audience for video training. I think that a vertical solution, even though maybe I don't know everything about what goes into uh, really designing something for that kind of market, mm-hmm. I do believe that delivering support and delivering training, uh, video training can solve a lot of problems in that area. So. Well, it seems to the obvious thing to me is if you're reaching a very large number of people that need to be trained on it. That video training, the the uh, return on investment would be far more quickly reached with software like that that you're deploying to hundreds or thousands of people. Um, where compared to like if you're deploying it to ten users in one company, you just go around and train those ten. Mm-hmm. If one of them leaves and someone else comes in, the other people can train them or you can train them. But when you've got thousands of cu- customers, you have to have something really beautiful. Yeah. And you know you can. You can still come up with different delivery packages and different maintenance type packages. You you can still do it pay per view if you want to do it that way, or just pay by a package, or it could be included in the price. So I think there's a lot of different things to consider as far as how you deliver a video training and a solution like that. Mm-hmm. Is it embedded into the solution where you know your videos just come up out of a container field, or are, is it an online service that takes you to a URL? So you're here in Portland to actually talk about this same topic at our FileMaker uh, developer group meeting here later today. And you presented on it last night in Seattle and tomorrow at the Wedge in Santa Clara. Uh, and then and it's pretty much the same topic a couple of weeks from now to a larger audience in Chicago. And then you're, aren't you going to be doing this at the uh, at uh, NAM or something? I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, I was trying to think of some giant show. Yeah, like after after you, I think you're going to do it at the Dodgers opening season game when you uh, right after you sing the national anthem, right? Yeah, well, and, and you know, twirl the baton as well. You sure. know, with the big fire Fire-less fireworks. Yeah, it, all of that's going to happen. And um, yeah, I've really enjoyed like talking with the user group last night in Seattle. Um, there was a real receptive crowd and. A small crowd, but real receptive, and uh, had a lot of questions. It, it generated a lot of ideas and questions, and so I'm really crafting the speech and change not the speech, but the talk. You know, today uh, changing it up a little bit and responding to the feedback that I got. So, 
So the key word in the description of what you're going to be talking about is effective training videos, not just making mechanical stuff like you mechanically change the transmission on your Porsche. <laughs> what did you have, by the way? Was it line 914, 911? 911. Oh, it was I hate you. I want a 911 so bad. It's a rust bucket. <laughs> I want a, like a 2013 model, you know, drive around Europe or something. Yeah, mine was this rusty old 70s sort of. Yeah, anyway. Still pretty cool. So, but you're, you're, you're talking about effective <laughs> training videos, right? How to, make them right. Ef- how to make them effective. Tell me about that. Yeah, and I feel really passionately about that, about creating training that engages the user. And uh, so they go away and they take action because I feel like you can learn something. You, you can sit there and watch a video and not really learn. You're going along. It's feeding you everything you need to know. And you feel like you've learned it. It's very common to misjudge how much you've learned. You feel like you've learned it because it's all laid out for you. Sure. But it doesn't really teach you how to, how to learn. or it doesn't. It's not a call to action. And the call to action really requires engagement. You're engaged in it somehow. You care about it. We all yeah. care. A lot of this seems to come from your experience with film, with acting and your voice talent. You've actually read tons of books professionally, which is pretty cool. And I think that probably informs a lot of your connecting with your also very deep expertise in FileMaker to do this. I really feel like this business for me brings my two worlds together. It brings my film and acting world together with FileMaker. And I mean, I can't be happier. Like this is really the business for me to be in. What I've learned from film, not only how to produce something like this, the elements that are involved, the process that's involved in producing a film. But I've also learned about the creative side of film and by being in training videos, and some of them were, were quite sort of fun to watch. I mean, they're, they're amusing or they're just engaging or they make you feel something, like mm-hmm. they just make you feel good about what you do. And why not feel good? Wait a minute. I'm trying to remember any <laughs> training video I've ever seen that makes me feel good about what I do. It's interesting. I'll think about that. Yeah, yeah no, really. It's, but that's an objective. It's, it's an objective. My objective of, of this talk is to, is to um, show you how if you care about something, you will act on it. A really quick example. A friend of mine's a nurse, and she works with IT. And there was this demographic data that nobody was filling in. And she says, I can't get people to fill this in. And I said, well, it's optional. I said, why do they need to fill it in? She says, well, we need them to fill it in because the, the hospital gets funding. If they fill this in, we get more funding. I said, well, why don't you just say that? In the training, just tell them, you know, this is optional information. The, client, the, the patient doesn't need to provide this information. But if you do collect it, the hospital will get funding or say something, you know, about that. That's kind of funny. I work in public health, the agency that funds hospitals to get that demographic <laughs> data, which I then analyze in FileMaker. <laughs> That's hilarious. I mean, we're, we're like conjoined or something. It's like crazy. But um, I just feel like if you know that, if you know why you're entering something into a database system, you're more apt to do it. And you're more apt to pay attention if there's consequences. You, if you don't do this, X, Y, Z will happen. It doesn't have to be some elaborate MGM production, but just a little background knowledge about the process. I'm not going to carry on because I can, but I'm going to say that we as developers, I've done this, I think I know everybody's 
job. Like, oh, I could go in that business and I could do everybody's job. But it's not true. Like a 16-year-old. <laughs> yeah, it's just not true. We, because we build these systems that help people do their job, but that is not their whole job. There's this big umbrella around it that is their job. Right. And this is just one tool. But we, you know, like my focus sometimes is this is what they do. And I think they do. But I think I know. But I don't really. And I just feel like if if you have a bigger picture and you know what the purpose of something is and it generates in you a sense of duty or or an inspiration or just a bigger understanding, mm-hmm. oh, sometimes just knowing that, oh, in marketing, they need to have this information so that they can send out their email uh, broadcasts or whatever – it it makes you feel like you're part of the team like it's now now you're working in a team and this all makes better sense and this makes for better training because if you can give them a bigger picture their their job suddenly makes a lot more sense of why they're doing something so kind of one of the things in the back of my mind as I, I'm talking to you is what are the things that are in most training videos done wrong? I'm going to maybe ask you to okay. look at some of mine. <laughs> this definitely sounds like one that people often miss. Uh, what are some of the other ones? Yeah. One of my pet peeves is saying exactly what you're doing so that what you're seeing is somebody clicking on a button and somebody says, click here. That just really bugs me. Like you don't need to say. It's like reading your slides in a presentation. <laughs> it is, and uh, you lose a little bit of credibility by doing it with the user. The user thinks, "Oh, wh- who am I, stupid?" It's like you're saying, "You're, you need me to tell you to click here." You can't see what I'm doing. If they can't see what you're doing, you should use a cursor highlight, or or you should use those those fancy features that they have in screen capture software to zoom in mm-hmm. and show them so that you can say something a little more meaningful and give them some extra context to what they're doing. Why are yeah, they like, pushing that like button? If you click on the new patient button, it'll trigger a search that happens and blah 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 kind of a thing. It's redundant and it's insulting to the to the person who's viewing it. Think about the audience and who they are and Allow them to be smart enough to know what you're doing. Assume they're smart. Assume they understand what you're doing. They're watching your video. If they didn't get it, they can rewind. So there's no need to to slam them with a lot of audio. I think there's – I talk a lot. I can talk. I can, <laughs> I can keep on talking for hours. But – I think there's too much talking. I only have 32 gigabytes of memory in this device. <laughs> Lucky for you. <laughs> That's a lot of audio. That's a lot of talking, <laughs> believe me. Um, so I do think that there's too much talking and it's not meaningful. And I think that adding context and telling, answering the question why is always a good rule of thumb. I also like long stretches of silence with nothing going on in training videos. <laughs> I think silence can be effective where if you want focus on the screen, you want them just to follow what you're doing, to leave a little bit of silence, give them a little breathing room, let them watch for a while, maybe add a little low music to keep their attention. I think being quiet at times can be very effective, just like it is in film or in, in, a, in a lot of media. It's it, even like white space in, a, in an in interface. Is, I was just going to bring that up. It's a really, really good uh, analogy. Yeah, it's, it's the same thing. It gives, you, it gives the brain a little relaxation, a little rest, take a break. It's nice to maybe do a little transition. Say you're going from one little concept to the other. Give it a little transition where they're watching the cursor do something or watching something populate. And and then pick it up again. Mm-hmm. Control the pace. Sometimes we're in such a hurry to get through the. Oh, it's going to be a two-minute video, so I got to get this done in two minutes, and I've got to like go blah 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 and get through it. But give it time. Make it a three-minute video. 
A three-minute video that gives the user a chance to learn is far more effective than a two-minute video that just jams it all out. Do you have advice on how to break up um, topics? Let's say you're trying to sell, you're trying to train on a large application. You know, how is it effectively broken down by module so that you have, you know, what length of videos are kind of the most effective and stuff? And uh, should you focus on like specific users or specific feature sets or? Well, I think both. Um, I, I always like to do a mix. I have what I call my basics. And I, when I build a library for a complex system, I make sure that everybody watches the basics. And the basics are for the, the, the casual user, the user that gets in and gets out, like gets in and looks at something and gets out. So it's at that level. But everybody has to watch it. And when I deliver video training, I'm, I'm jumping up to another subject here, but when I deliver it, I deliver it in a catalog that keeps track of this curriculum, keeps track of what everybody has watched so that they can't log into the system till they've watched a couple of these basics. So I, I like to force people to be trained. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, there's ways around it. If somebody's an exception, you know, the, the client has control over that. They can say exception. They don't have to take, they don't have to watch these videos. Or they can say, no, they have to watch video A, B, D, F, and G, and, and they won't be able to do certain functions until they watch these videos. Mm -hmm. So there's a way to control uh, training and access to your system through your training catalog. Now, it's, you know, not every system is going to need that kind of control, but these are the kind of the cool things that you can do with training. And I think that as as a community, as a FileMaker community, as we start to build more and more sophisticated training libraries, these things are going to become topics of conversation that we're going to talk about in the future, is, uh, you know, making sure that someone is compliant with their understanding of something before they go and do it, mm -hmm. mess something up, you know? Sure. Yeah, I want to allow... Uh, Joe to be able to access this export. Well, does he know how to do it? You know, and then have him watch the video, maybe take a little quiz, and if he gets it right, then he can go and do it. I don't know. It's, it, who knows? There might be a client who really wants to do that. I think that's actually a really good idea. I, I don't really quiz people on them a lot. So what about the, what about the blending of, um, of training videos, which I think are hugely important, and compared to marketing videos? And then, like, tie that into the findability. Like, I'm a big fan of putting, of doing all my videos with fake data so that it never looking at anything real. That way I can stick them up on YouTube, even if it's for a system that's for, like, HIV surveillance or something that's really, really sensitive, you know? Oh, absolutely. I, I would never do a, a video with real data in it, um, even if, you know, maybe an ad hoc thing that I'm doing for somebody. I actually use videos for support. Somebody calls me up and they say, I don't know how to do something, and I'll just run off a really quick video and email it to them a minute you know of instruction yeah, use jing or something like that for the really simple ones i use camtasia for everything mm. but if i'm building a library i'm absolutely populating dummy data and i have a set of data that i've created over the years of artist names and addresses and things like that that i use for all of my training systems so i can just you you can create your own little set of data that's kind of fun for you to use and uh, you don't have to think about it too much. Um, I, have a, I have a little set of sample data with uh, 10 billion records. <laughs> yeah, like that, you know, so that it seems realistic, the volume. Of sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was the question again? <laughs> yeah. I, well, tying into sales, <gasps> sales and like the findability. Do you post most of the videos you do on YouTube or Vimeo? or? Uh, uh, for delivery, um, for a client library, generally is going to reside on their server somewhere. Um, I have also done private uh, YouTube links. 
Um, and uh, starting to explore FileMaker 12 container fields for delivery, especially on the iPad and, and the uh, iPhone. Um, but uh, the question about sales and, and marketing, I want to go back to that mm -hmm. and how training films can, can tie into that. And I think this is a really exciting idea. Um, I've worked on a lot of industrials, like I said, and co corporations put a lot of money into these industrials. They, they usually say really great things about their company, the good things that they're doing. They always make you feel something. That's what these are all about, these industrial films. Mm. They make you feel a sense of responsibility or they make you feel uh, warm and fuzzy about the company. So these, if, if we can leverage little elements of these films, work with the producers that produce these films, um, you know, with the client, buying into this whole idea of taking elements of that and integrating them into your training videos so that the users are feeling that warm, fuzzy feeling about the company. Some of these videos actually show the whole process of, you know, if they're an instructional type of industrials that are used for internal use, they're actually showing the process of what employees do. Right. So these are great candidates for integrating into a training video. Does that answer your question? Was that where you were headed with that? Well, actually, what I thought you were saying there is you can take elements that you've already built in your training videos and stick them into sales videos because then prospective customers would watch that and think, and then know kind of, they'd be able to see it through how your system works effectively through the eyes of users who are being trained on it. That's, is that not your point? Uh, I was thinking the other way that you're creating that marketing piece and uh, then, sure. and then using, leveraging that for training, but I think it could go, go either way. One really big key feature that I, that I've used it for as far as communications is communicating with the client, my compliance with my specifications. So if I'm working on a big system over a period of maybe two years or a year or whatever crazy amount of time, I've got um, miles. That's just getting started. You're talking <laughs> five years, ten years. Now we're talking. Oh, Lord have mercy. So, I mean, before delivery, like sure. from discovery to, to launch. Oh, yeah. Well, that should be three months, even on a really huge system. Yeah. I think you should actually have right. a proof of concept or some part of it delivered ASAP so that you can start getting users asking for things and anyway <laughs> <laughs> so so in this case and even in a three-month delivery period if you want to communicate with your client how you're doing how am I doing where am I have I achieved anything have I finished anything you are able to create a video that not only trains the user before something's launched to get their approval of the interface or approval of how you're doing it's a review but you're also communicating with your client that you have achieved a milestone in your specifications. So now you're using this tool not just to train, but also to communicate. And one other, I mean, huge, huge, huge benefit of this, if anybody's done it, they know this, that you are testing your user interface at some great, fine detail. I mean, there, things come up that you never expected when, when you start producing yeah. a training video. I've heard about testing. How's that work? <laughs> it's it's like you try it and it doesn't work, and then you're like, oh, oh, oh yeah. yeah. I wonder, are there developers that do that? I no, not really. You usually <laughs> just launch some. it, and then the user figures it out and tells yeah, exactly. you. They call you up, and then you say, oh, really? No, that, that worked for me. I know. I'm sorry. I'm going for too many jokes. <laughs> one other thing I really want to talk to you about is 
the solution changes over time, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of people worry they like make a training video and they feel like it's this big production. Mm -hmm. And then they add one new field to some layout that you know no one's really going to see. But they go, well, now we have to make a new video because now it doesn't match the interface anymore. Mm -hmm. How do you deal with that? Yeah, and maintenance is important. And, okay, first of all, you got to budget for it. You have to make sure that the client buys in to maintaining it. Otherwise, they won't maintain it. And you'll end up with video training that's out of date. So up front, when you propose this to the client, you want to make sure that they're buying into maintenance. Okay, so you add that one field, and it's fairly insignificant. It's not part of that training module. I would not worry about it. If you change the interface in a significant way that does modify the process in some way, then absolutely, you've got to go in and reshoot that little bit. Now, if you're smart about how you build these things, how you produce this, say mm -hmm. you're producing it in Camtasia, and you have multiple tracks, and your audio track is completely separate, and you've done really smart audio, so you've got individual clips mm -hmm. that are laid down on that track. You don't have like one huge audio track. You've got individual clips that lay down. You can go in and define that one section, pull it out, reshoot it, lay down the, the, uh, the video, and redo the audio, that one little clip of audio, mm -hmm. and you're done. So it's all about, it's like development, like anything else. Smart, smart planning and development is going to be easier maintenance, and it's the same thing with the videos. It's probably depending upon how many people look at it. Like if you're, if you're making a training video for 10 or 20 people, then... I would probably just really, and one of the things I do personally, and maybe I'm doing it wrong, is to just redo the whole thing. And if I screw up or if I do it wrong, if the audio isn't exactly right, it's fine because I know it's for a small group of people. And it's actually easier and faster for me just to do the whole five-minute video in one take than it would be to open up a file, re-record -re one little bit of audio, select the clip, and do all the steps you talked about, which it would be the exact steps I'd take if it was something for a large, you know, vertical market kind of a thing. Yeah, and it's really dependent on how much post-production you do um you know if, if if you're recording audio and video at the same time and that's it you're not doing any like fancy effects afterwards then sure that's your process you know it, it, that'll be faster to reshoot the whole thing right um but if you're adding a lot of zooms and a lot of annotation music whatever you've got going on if you like really high production value mm -hmm. then you're going to want to go in and pull out that little section and replace that sure. one little section yeah so do you think i mean um what what cases would you advocate for high production, like having live video and intros and music and all this other stuff, as opposed to just recording a screen with a with an audio track? Uh well, you know that it. I think. <laughs> or like maybe what are the what are the criteria that you would use to determine how much you should be recommending to the client? It really depends on how complex their system is. And it, this goes back to, like, the very first thing you need to determine is who's the audience. And and really know that audience. Is it a company with high turnover so that people just need, like, they need quick familiarity. They need to get up and running fast. Um, or is it a client that has a lot of deep complexity? I'm going to say that it's both that need uh, a good production value. But the, the one with... With big complexity, okay, here's the thing. Those people are highly motivated to understand what they're doing mm -hmm. because that's it's a complex process that they have to do for their job, and if they already know they need to do it. However, you, you want to make it a little less painful for them, and you want to engage them, and you want them to learn it. You don't want them to have to go back and look at it again and again. 
I think that you're going to find clients are more inclined to budget a complex process in a video and maybe spend a little more money on that because they know that that's crucial that it gets done correctly. Right. The familiarity uh, aspect with the high turnover, it really depends on the company. I mean, it depends on, you know, what would Apple do as opposed to GE? Well, GE, they have good films too, but like, yeah. say it's a company that's... Apple's films are pretty beautiful. You know, Apple's <laughs> Apple's going to do it no matter what. And some companies are going to be like that. Other companies are just going to be, no, I have this little budget. I don't care. I just want them to have the information. You know your client. Well, this has been some really great information. Wendy, thanks very much for your time today. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me and talking about video training. I'm looking forward to what everybody has to say about it. Well, it's an important topic, and I, and I love that you're out to not only uh, help your own business in doing this professionally, but also just share the information so that other people can make better videos, even if they don't have much budget. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to the FileMaker community sort of engaging in, in training and, and raising the bar on effective training, and I'm looking forward to collaborating with with others. I mean, that's what our community does is is uh, get together and share ideas and always raising the bar on FileMaker development. So I'm looking forward to doing the same thing with, with training. Great. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks so much.